Good morning. Had a good day this morning. Mike Stafford started off with a picture of me on uh, Facebook, so uh, you can't get better than that. If you're uh, new here with this morning, we're having a meal after service. Um, I'll let you get in line ahead of me. Um, that offer only lasts for so long, so uh, we encourage you to come and, and join us for that and, and let us meet you and say hello. Um, I read about a woman who uh, telephoned a friend and just wanted to talk, but uh, she asked how she was feeling, and the woman on the other end of the line said, well, I just feel terrible. You know, my head's splitting, uh, my back, my legs, they're killing me, the house is a mess, the, the kids are just driving me crazy. And very sympathetically, the caller said, well, you know, listen, go and lie down. I'm coming right over. I'm going to cook you lunch. I'm going to clean the house. I'll watch the kids so you can lie down for a while. By the way, how's your husband, Sam? Sam? My husband's name's not Sam. Oh, I've done this before. I must have dialed the wrong number. There was a long silence. Then she asked, does that mean you're not coming over? <laughs> She had hoped that she had found a friend, someone who was going to be there when she needed someone. And friendship is a powerful thing. This morning, or this month, excuse me, we're doing a, a series about lessons that we learned from the playground. And, and on the playground and in school, having friends meant all the world to us, right? It was the most important thing we could have was to have Friends, and the Bible tells us that friendship is really important. That's one of the reasons we smell that food down the hall today, because we know we need to be together. The Bible tells us we should be a family where we can find some of the greatest friends we could ever meet. Right here in Proverbs tells us, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses in Proverbs 27.6. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, Proverbs 17.17, 17. and a man uh, many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Proverbs 18.2. You know, on the playground, we wanted friends we could rely on, friends who uh, would pick us first for the team, even though we weren't the best player, right? Friends who we could tell our secrets to, friends we could sometimes get in trouble with. But as we've gotten older, a lot of those friends have gone away, right? A lot of those friends didn't stick around. We live in this strange generation. Now, outwardly, our culture says we're all about coexistence. We want to love all people, and I'm all for that, but that's not what we're getting. In reality, we don't have a world that happily coexists together peacefully. What we have is a society that is more isolated and alone than ever before. In the June issue of the American Sociological Review a few years ago, they did uh, this, this research. It wasn't a survey. It was based on some kind of census data. But the researchers from Duke looked at how many friends we have compared to a uh, couple years ago, a couple decades ago. They defined a friend as anyone who you would tell private information to first. And they found that since just the late 90s, Americans have a third fewer friends than we did just two decades ago. And uh, those findings held for Males and females, they're consistent for people of all races and ages, educational levels, even within families. The perceived degree of intimacy fell significantly. More disturbing than that, though, the number of people who said they had no one that they could call a close friend doubled 
It went to 25%. 25% of people in this community, here in Greenfield, it, if the national stats hold up, 25% of people say when they're diagnosed with cancer, they have no one to go and talk to about it. When they need to move to a new apartment, they don't have anyone to call. When their parent dies, they have no one they want to talk to. When they're thinking about moving into a new career, getting married, they have no one. That's astounding. That's incredible to think about, that 25% of people say they have no close friends that they want to talk to about those things. But when we think about it, when we look around, we see it. We see it all around us. We see how much loneliness is affecting us. You know, we may be connected 24-7 on our iPads and iPhones and everything else, but as far as we go, that's as far as our connections go. Excuse me. We are lonelier and more isolated as a society than we've ever been before. But God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, so we don't have to be trapped in that kind of loneliness and that kind of despair. Instead, we can find life in him. You know, Jesus set up his church on the idea of loving one another. He gave us each other so we don't have to go through this life alone. So we can always have someone when we need them. You know, what an opportunity that is to show the grace of God to this community. If there are 25% of people out there who say they don't have anyone they can talk to, what an opportunity that is to show them the family that is here. You know, God often lets us get to our lowest points in life so that he can reach out his hand and help us up. Society is at its lowest point. We are lonelier than we've ever been before, and this church is God's outreached hand to lift people up. You know, Lauren's parents work for State Farm. Uh, their slogan was always, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right? I don't use it anymore, though. I wonder why? Because I'm sure they went into some focus group and they tested that word neighbor. It doesn't rate very well anymore. People don't look to their neighbors for community. They don't look to their neighbors for support. Community has left us everywhere. We do not have communities anymore, and people miss it. And people are desperately looking for a substitution. And that's when we see the social media giants, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all of those come into play. Richard's over here. Uh, where is he looking? He just got on Facebook, and he's wondering what all these others are. Uh, <laughs> but they're all trying to create a place where people can share their lives, where they can find some sense of community that's lacking everywhere else. But it's become a faux finish for most of us. Facebook may call your followers friends, but that's not usually what they are. On my list, I've got people who I like, people I respect, people I'd like to get to know maybe, or they're people uh, maybe who've liked what I've said or what I've stood for, but very few of them are people that I'd call my friends. Never going to see all of the people Facebook calls my friends in person ever. If I am sick in the hospital, they won't come and visit me. If I need to move apartments, they won't be there for me. If I'm stranded on the highway at night, they won't come and get me. Like the lady in our opening illustration, they are not coming over. They're not my friends. They don't know the details of my life. They don't know what I struggle with. They don't perhaps even like me that much. On Facebook, they are my friends, but for the most part, they're just passing acquaintances. Most of them, very nice people. They're not my friends, and that happens in real life too. You know, sometimes even the people we call our friends 
aren't actually our friends. They're not there when we need them. They forget about us. They disappoint us. They ignore us. And so even though we are more connected now than we've ever been before, we're more isolated than we've ever been before. And this is a, a problem of unprecedented proportions today. But God, he's always had a plan for this. It may be affecting us right now. It may be coming up in new ways right now. But God has always had a plan for loneliness. He, he's always had a solution for when our society's loneliness gets to a point where we are finally ready to ask for help, that he has a solution for us. You know, Jesus tells us the story of the youngest son of a wealthy man, and the boy uh, didn't want to wait until his father passed to receive his inheritance, and so uh, he bugged him until the father finally caved, gave him the money, so he went to a faraway city, and he lived it up. He had parties, he had friends maybe, at least until the money ran out, and then those so-called friends ran, and they didn't come back, and the boy was pretty lonely. In fact, he got to such a point of desperation that he was willing to eat the pig's food. He had absolutely no one to help him. No one was there to look after him. But then Jesus tells us something pretty incredible. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and hear and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead but is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. You know, the son had gotten to a point where he felt like he had no one. Studies tell us that 25% of people say the same thing, that they are feeling lonely. They're looking for a way out, just like the son. And the good news is Jesus is telling this story to show us the solution to the crisis. You don't have to feel abandoned or lonely come home and that's what the son did he went home and his father embraced him you know jesus built his church to be a place for people that they could always come back to he built us upon this concept of friendship of being there for one another the bible repeatedly says we should be there for one another. We should encourage one another and build each other up, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.11. We should be devoted to one another and brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12.10. Galatians says we should serve one another in love to the point that we carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ in Galatians 5.13 uh, and 6.2. So that is our purpose here. We are to love God, and to love others. And Jesus says that sums up all of the law. And we have people outside of these walls this morning who need to hear that they do not have to be alone. We have people inside these walls that need that reminder too. And this is where this group of people is where you should be able to come to build real friendships, a real community and a society that doesn't have much community left. We read in Proverbs 18.2, 
A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, the world has traded quality for quantity, but real friends are brothers and sisters. They're not just people who like your status on Facebook. Think back to your time in school. There are probably some days when your parents, or if you had siblings, your brothers or sisters, they aggravated you, right? They'd really upset. A few of those days, maybe. Then you went to school, and your friends, they did the same thing. They aggravated you. They didn't sit with you at the lunch table. They didn't pick you for the team. They spread some rumor about you. They aggravated you. But what was the difference between those two situations? In school, some of your friends were there for a week, and then they went on to the next group. They went on to the next hobby, whatever it was. You probably had some really good friends who stuck with you through it all. But most of them, they came and went. If there was a conflict, they just moved on. But your family, you had to go back to them. When that final bell rang, you had to get on the bus. You had to go home whether you liked it or not, and whether they liked it or not. That's Jesus' design for the church. No matter how frustrated I get with you, no matter how frustrated you get with me, this congregation is a family that you can always come home to. It doesn't matter how far you go, how alone you get, this church is a place where you can always find loving arms ready to embrace you when you come back. But there's a problem. You know, even at our best, we don't always love like we should. We don't always do this like we should. Even the best intentioned person can fail. We are not God. No matter who we are, how long we have been servants of God, we won't always be there when people need us. We won't always uh, be there for one another, as we read over and over in Scripture, like God demands. And now, when most people hear this story that we read that, that Jesus told, how do they usually refer to it? It's the parable of the prodigal son, right? And it's that, too. It's a story of a boy who foolishly threw away his fortunes in an effort to live his own life in his own foolish way, and he ended up all by himself. But there's two more characters in this parable that Jesus told, the father and the brother. And I think Jesus is telling us just as much about them as he is the prodigal son. So let's start with the brother. You know, Jesus said... Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, and so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your, your commandment at any time, and yet you gave me, a, or you never gave me a young goat, that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that you should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. You know, that older son too often is playing our role. Too often we don't welcome people home as generously or as quickly as we should. We get distracted by our own personal agendas or schedules. We uh, become inconsiderate and selfish. There are times that 
and we get our feelings hurt and have a hard time loving other people. Jesus built his church to be a home that the lonely and the lost could always come back to, but too often we are the brother standing at the door saying, oh, not them. We're comfortable with our family the way it is. We don't want anyone else coming in and messing things up for us. We ask God, if we have been serving here all this time, why are they getting all the focus? Why is the church so focused on bringing in new people? Why can't we make programs that just serve the people who are already here? Why are we so focused on reaching out to others? But Jesus tells us exactly why. Reach out to others who are lonely and weary because that's what I did for you. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you in John 15, 12. Jesus knows you know, we struggle sometimes to love each other as we should. And so he told us, follow his example. Learn from him. Make it your life's goal to be there for one another because that is what he did for us. Jesus loved us when we were unlovable to anyone else. We were lonely. We were separated from God. And, and when we felt that love, when we truly understand what that love means, we want to show it to everyone else. And that, of course, is the the key advantage uh, of who we are, of Christianity. And you see, there's other organizations in this town, and they can provide community. They've done it for years. Um, Some of them are are falling away. We don't see the same sort of of community organizations that we used to, but they could do this. There's lots of, of organizations out there who understand friendship and its importance, of community and its importance. They, they can get together. They can form a community. It's still there, and you can make great friends in those types of organizations, but they will always have a disadvantage to what we have here. You see, people will at some point always fail you. A person will always fail you. I will fail you. Everyone else in this room will fail you at some point. That's just who we are, but Jesus won't. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13, 5. And he told us, we could come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Peter understood that, and he wrote, cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Romans eight thirty four declares, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God is also interceding for us. Jesus will never forsake you. He will always care for you. You'll never have an earthly friend like Jesus. So in the midst of this troubling reality, the reality that we don't always have true friends that we can count on, Jesus tells us he wants to be our friend. He wants the people who follow him to center our lives on him and love like he loves. And that's the greatest tool that this congregation has to reach out to a, low, or a lost and lonely world. It's not that we have you know, these great meals once a month. I like them, but that's not all we have. It's not that we uh, uh, have really friendly members here who welcome people and invite people all the time. It is because we are a family that is rooted in Christ. Lots of other places understand community. Lots of other places understand friendship. But lots of other places don't have Christ. In the story that Jesus told, that's what the home was supposed to be, a welcoming family that you could always come back to no matter how hard you've strayed. But the brother didn't understand that. He stood in the way, and we shouldn't play his role. But there's another character in this story, and he also has an important part. It says in verse 20, yes, 
But then while he was still, uh, still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, the father is the answer to all of this. Some people they look at the father, his brother including here, and ask him why he would do this. You know, this son, he squandered everything you had. He's all alone, and it's his fault. He caused this. He brought it on himself. But it, the father in Jesus' story, he didn't turn the child away. He embraced him. He put this robe on him, placed a ring on his finger. He killed the fatted calf. He had a feast, something that he never did for the brother who was always there. You know, Edward Robinson once observed, the world is a spiritual kindergarten where bewildered infants try to spell God with the wrong blocks. I like that. Many people, we have a warped view of God. We're trying to spell his name with the wrong blocks. They see God as this cold, cruel, uncaring deity, a judge who is happy to pass this terrible judgment on them. And you want to know why they believe that? They believe it because that's what they would do if they were in his shoes. They don't believe this son deserved mercy or compassion or love. He messed up, and now he should be alone. He should pay the consequences. And maybe he should have. Maybe the father should have turned his back. He should have closed the door. He, he should have sent his son back to eat the pig's food. And as the son said, he sinned against heaven and against the father, and he didn't deserve to be welcomed home. Maybe that's right. God knows exactly what we're like. He knows we're all sinners. He knows we've squandered our inheritance, and now we are all alone. But he is still waiting to embrace us. As Romans 5.10 puts it, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And Ephesians says it this way, because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. You know, we were enemies. We were dead in our sins. We were living messed up lives. We weren't worth much to God or anyone else, but it was then when we weren't worth much, when we were actually worth less than not too much, we were enemies of God, it was then that God reached out his hand and helped us. When we come home, no matter how far we've gone or what we've done, our Father will run to us. Now, it's important for us to realize God is a God of judgment. He lets us wander away from home to live, or live lives of sin if that's what we want. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And God is a God of judgment. Sin keeps you out of the home. It's not wrong to believe that. It's just the truth. You know, the problem is many people believe that once a person crosses a certain line, once they've sinned a certain number of times, or once a person has sinned a certain kind of sin, there's no coming back, that God could never accept them again. That's not what Jesus taught. In Jesus' story of the prodigal son, the young man, he had sinned so severely 
that the audience must have fully expected that father to turn him away, just like the brother did. But instead of turning his back on the boy, the father embraced him. He put that robe on his back. He put a ring on his finger. He killed the calf, had a feast. Why? Well, Jesus tells us, because the boy was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's in verse 24 and verse 32. Jesus says it twice for us. The father says this twice. Jesus wanted to drive home the fact that God, yes, he indeed is a God of judgment. This boy was dead when he left the home. God is also a God of redemption. God allowed him to come home, and now he is alive. And the God Jesus taught about rejoiced with people when they were damaged and destroyed by sin, but were willing to seek help, who were willing to come to him and be made alive again. When Paul gave that list of people who would not inherit the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians, he quickly added after that, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, we don't deserve to come home. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to have God run towards us and embrace us. But God still opens the door. You know, the worst of sins can be washed away. And the only sin that has to eternally separate us from God is the one that we refuse to repent of. God's forgiveness is enough. You know, the prodigal son is left, has left home. He squandered his inheritance. He became so destitute that he was willing to eat the... Uh, food for the pigs to survive. And when he gets so hungry that he actually wants to eat that, he comes up with this speech that he takes to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But even before he could get that speech out, he had prepared it. He'd walked all this way. Uh, he'd been thinking about it. This was what he was finally going to say to his father. Father didn't give him a chance, though. While he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, had the father forgotten? Had the father forgotten what this son had done? Remember, this was a a terrible thing. He, He said to his father, I want my inheritance because you're not good enough for me. I want... Just your money. (laughs) Nothing else you have is of any value. I wish you were dead. I don't want to live under your roof anymore. I don't want to abide by your rules any longer. I don't want you in my life anymore. All that's worth it to me is what's in your bank account. After that, do you imagine that the father uh, had heard about what the son was doing, the way he was living his life? What if your kid left home? How many, how many chances would you take? How, many, uh, how hard would you work to get just a, a bit of information about that child? Of course the father was hearing what this son was doing. But this father still ran. He still went to the father. Why? Because he loves the boy. He would have done anything to get the boy to come back. But he knows nothing he could have done before would have worked. If the dad would have gone to that far country to try to talk his son out of this, into returning, that would have failed. What would the the son have said if the father went to him? No, I'm doing just fine. I love feeding pigs, right? This is my dream job. I've been working my whole life to do this. Father would have had to go home. Would have been even worse if the father went and grabbed him by the ear and dragged him home. Eventually, the boy would just run away again, this time for good. 
So all his father could do was watch and wait until the boy decided to come home. And you see, that's all that boy had to do to receive his father's forgiveness and not be alone anymore. It was to come home. You know, on the playground, the most important thing was to have friends. But over the years, those friends, and a lot of our communities that had those friends, have slipped away. We are lonelier now than we've ever been before. God has always had a plan for this. He's always had a solution when society got to such a point where we're finally willing to say we need help. In Christ Jesus, God has declared all will be forgiven. There is a place for you here where you don't have to be alone. Just come home. So, if you're lonely and weary, like the prodigal son, you need to accept you don't have to be that way anymore. Accept that your way hasn't brought all the satisfaction you thought it would. Decide that you want to be his child and belong to him and then die to who you used to be. Bury your past in the waters of baptism. Rise from that watery grave to live a new life for him. Come home and God will run to you. Come forward as we stand, as we sing. Appreciate that lesson, Brandon. It's been a, quite a few on our sick and, and uh, asking special prayers this time. We ask you if you haven't already to pick up a bulletin. Uh, it's in the foyer, and there's also on the doors there in the foyer. There's many on our uh, sick list. One you remember them. Those in nursing homes. Uh, those who are about ready to go tests and treatments. We ask you to remember all of them, if you will. Uh, uh,
also especially for Samuel Day. Uh, he had swelling in his legs, and he asked prayers for that. Uh, Nels Kamatis uh, had some good news from a recent test, so please continue to remember her as she recovers. And um, Becky was back with us, and we're glad to see you, Becky. And she wants to thank everybody for the visits, the calls, and the cards. So she's glad to be back home. Also, uh, Wesley Meyer is going to be leaving us for deployment starting next weekend. Next weekend, you're leaving us. Um, and please remember him in your prayers, you will, and the family. Okay. We've got a few announcements on upcoming events. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner forms are due this evening. Everyone is invited. It's not just for couples. Children as well are welcome. And the event is uh, Friday, September 13th from 6 to 9 p.m. And if you need any more info, you can see Christine about that. Uh, church members and singers are needed for uh, the Love, Inc. Church Fair. And that is Saturday, September 13th from 6 to 9 p.m. And that would be at the Greenfield Courthouse Plaza. And you can see Roger for that. Okay, that is 9 to 12. So uh, see Roger if you need any more information on that. And uh, Lazarus Leaders kickoff and registration is Saturday, uh, September 28th at 6 p.m. at the church building. And you can see May for that. And uh, also a trunk retreat uh, October 29th from 5.30 to 7.30. And you can see Lauren Levy for more information and details on that. And Christina Coe needs to get new pictures of the elders and deacons today so definitely see her and if you're visiting with us want to let you know that we are glad to have you encourage you to come back and be with us at any time and every opportunity you have uh, also we encourage you to stay immediately following service we do have a meal as mentioned earlier and encourage you to stay stay for that and also uh, for our uh, prayer service immediately following the meal any other announcements anything else Alrighty. Number 535, Glory Land Way. Let's stand and sing a first and last verse of 535. 